No one I talked to on this trip was overly impressed with the Islanders. He was not used to going that long without winning. We all know the way Cal Clutterbuck plays hockey. That is a uh, a nut show trying to make connections there. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 173, as we touch upon the Islanders' recent Western road trip, how they're situated in the playoff race, and of course, some of the speculation that was surrounding Coach Lane Lambert while the team was on the road. And hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday, and first off, Let me wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and my hopes for your health and happiness as we enter this holiday season. And also on this episode, I'll chat with Jen Botterill, now working with TNT as an analyst. Uh, Also, she's doing work, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet, after spending a couple of seasons uh, working on Islanders broadcasts in the studio for MSG Networks, had caught up with Jen on the road. Always good to talk to her. So we'll uh, we'll get you that chat a little bit later in the episode. And of course, uh, we'll finish up with a ton of your questions for Andrew's answers. Uh, first off, congratulations go out. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck is going to reach 1,000 games, uh, depending on when you hear this. He uh, is scheduled to play in his 1,000th NHL career game on Wednesday against the Flyers at UBS Arena. Before Cal, just what a weird schedule, right? Uh, You got the Flyers at UBS Arena on Wednesday. Uh, Thanksgiving's obviously Thursday. The Islanders go up to Ottawa to face the Senators on Friday. And then to complete the back-to-back, back home where, yes, they play the Flyers again on on Saturday. So back-to-back home games over uh, four days against the Flyers at UBS Arena. Um, but back to Cal. I, I talked to Cal in Calgary after game number 999. I've gone around the room. I've talked to uh, some of his teammates, touched upon uh, why maybe a thousand games for Cal. Look, any player getting to a thousand games, that's a a special milestone. It it speaks to longevity, speaks to your competitiveness, your willingness to play through injuries, uh, just your love for the game. It speaks to a lot of different things. And the fact that you're good enough to stick around in the league that that long when most players uh, don't even come close to sniffing a thousand games, right? Um, but for Cal, maybe it's a little bit more special just because I, I mentioned the the the, the injury. Uh, he has played through so much, and really, there have been a lot of times where you wouldn't have blamed Cal for saying, okay, enough is enough here. I'm beat up. I, I, I really can't go on any further, and, and Cal has never reached that point. There have been some injuries. The, uh, uh, you know, he takes that Patrice Bergeron skate blade uh, to his left wrist in 2019, December, uh, missed a ton of time then, and I know Cal has talked about how there's still a loss of uh, feeling 
in that left hand as a result. He's he's played through that. There was the uh, uh, the the shoulder injury. The, he needed surgery. Shut him down after fifty nine games a couple of seasons ago. Last season, through a couple of different stretches, he winds up missing thirty three games. Uh, you know, another player might have reached a thousand games last season, but we all know the way Cal Clutterbuck plays hockey, he he looks for the hits, he's the NHL's all-time hit leader that, that goes back to 2005-06 when they first kept uh, keeping that statistic. We know how he plays, it's a physical, physical, gritty brand of hockey, and uh, yes, his mouth is a part of it too in, in terms of him being one of the uh, NHL's better agitators, but I, I talked to his teammates about all of that. Uh, I talked to Cal about what reaching a thousand games means to him, and Cal immediately, you know, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the others in his life who have helped him get through all the setbacks. And uh, he said, "This is really for them." Um, you know, his teammates, his family, parents, whoever has supported him over the years. That's who Cal is thinking about as he reaches a thousand games. But that, uh, that story I wrote is up on newsday.com backslash sports or newsday.com backslash aisles. Give it a read. I had a lot of fun writing that one. And, uh, as you'll see, I, I deliberately waited until after game 999 to talk about 1000 because, Look, given what Cal's been through, you know, it really felt like you were going to jinx it if you uh, talked too soon about it. But uh, anyway, congratulations to Cal and his whole family uh, for that incredible milestone. Um, the Islanders went 1-1-2 and on their four-game trip. That was a 4-1 loss in Edmonton, a 4-3 overtime loss in Vancouver. Lane Lambert has not been happy about his team's play in uh, overtimes. They were uh, 0-5 before ending the trip with a 4-3-8. No, I'm sorry, a 5-4 four-round shootout loss in Calgary. Uh, they had a 4-3-8 round shootout loss in Seattle, which dropped them to 0-5 in games past regulation. Lane Lambert unhappy about missed assignments, 3-on-3 play. You got to know your man, right? Um, because otherwise you get uh, breakaway goals, as you got on the trip. Um on the surface, three of the games could have gone either way, and Lane Lambert and the players hey, keep repeating that the team uh, they believe is playing well. Lane Lambert points to the fact that the team has gathered points in in eight of twelve games, but you know to, that's four, four, and four, uh, which is classified as NHL five hundred. But you've also given away. Uh, uh, four potential points there, and that that's really crucial. Uh, with how close this playoff race is shaping up, uh, Cal Clutterbuck, uh, when we weren't talking about game number one thousand, told me he he thought the team has played played better during their o four and three skid, and and then which got snapped in Calgary with that five four. Uh, shootout win. Um, Cal was saying that the team has played better in this stretch uh, than it really did in starting the season, uh, 5-2-2. Two and two. But look, uh, I know what the players and the coach are saying. I can tell you, you know, one of the advantages of being on the road with the team 
which I feel honored to be, you know, to get to see all 82 or as close to 82 as I can get, is you hear things about the team when you go into the visiting press boxes. You get other eyes looking at the team and, uh, you know, that's, that's scouts, that's other writers, other broadcasters, uh, just people around the league, you know, it's, it's a variety of people you can talk to in the press boxes. And I can tell you that no one I talked to on this trip was overly impressed with the Islanders and how they play and how they're constructed. And uh, that that's just the, the honest truth that I'm telling you from what I'm hearing around, uh, you know, from the travels that... People look at this team uh, not necessarily as a Stanley Cup contender. They look at this team as a team that is really going to struggle to try and get into the playoffs. The, the age is an issue. Uh, the speed at which they play at is an issue. How the roster has been constructed is an issue. There were a lot of issues mentioned to me uh, during the week on the road. And... Uh, there, there was speculation about Lane Lambert and whether he was going to continue on as the uh, Islanders coach. And, you know, you go 0-4-3, uh, there, there's going to be that. But I, I can tell you this, I mean, I'm not just making things up. You know, I'm not throwing, I'm not looking at it saying, oh, the team's 0-4-3, Lou Lamarillo's got to make a move. Um, look, we we all know how secretive Lou Lamarillo is, and he doesn't let anyone in on his thinking. So, you know, you can tell me that nobody really knows, and that's exactly what Lou Lamarillo would tell, tell me and has told me before, that, you know, the stuff I'm reporting is speculation because it's not coming directly from him. And, and that's true, but I, I can tell you I was getting texts on the road from people who should know uh, the direction that the team was going. And the, the text I was getting was that, you know, Lou had at least started considering a change. And that's why I wrote what I wrote, which was, you know, speculation about Lane Lambert's job. You know, I, I know Lane says the team was playing well and the players say the team was playing well. They just weren't getting the results. But there, there are arguments against that. Yes, the penalty kill ended the road trip, thankfully, with a 3-for-3 against the Flames. But they had allowed 8 goals and 13 chances to start the trip. Uh, that, that's almost inconceivable. Um, Lambert was saying that the the penalty kill, his own penalty kill, became too passive. You get so many goals scored upon you, your tendency is to sort of pull back and, uh, I guess, you know, wait for the next one. So that that's what we were seeing, certainly. Although the, the three for three against the Flames looks better. To be fair, the Flames negated two of their own penalty kills and, and reset it to four on four. So it wasn't a full six minutes of a three for three penalty kill. Um, Ilya Sorokin's numbers have not been good. Um, and he was perhaps the happiest guy in that dressing room in Calgary when he finally got a win. It was, uh, 
I think it was going back to October 26th was the last time he had earned a victory. It had been a long time. He was not used to going that long without winning. And the numbers don't look good, frankly. He's 4-3-4 and four, uh, with a 3.32 goals against average, .906 save percentage. You can do the deeper dive into the analytics and the expected goals or the expected saves and Ilya is nowhere close to where he was last season when he finished second in the Vesna uh, Trophy balloting, and uh, a lot of that is teams are getting are going backdoor a lot and getting Ilya going side to side. And how much of that is Ilya? How much of that is the defense? I'm I'm going to look at the defense first. There, if if you look, uh, you know. All four goals that he gave up uh, in Calgary were five on five. But before that, uh, on the trip, only one of the seven goals uh, with Ilya Sorokin in net, and I'm not counting Evander Kane's empty netter for the Oilers in Edmonton. So only one of the seven goals uh, that counted against Sorokin to start the trip. The first two games he played came five-on-five play. But still, Semyon Varlamov has has played well enough that Lane Lambert really started alternating the two goalies, and that's not at all what you were expecting uh, going into the season. Uh, amongst the positives, I, I do look to the uh, the line, the Bo Horvat, Matthew Barzell uh, line, and Simon Holmstrom is adding something to that line. Uh, he's playing more confident. He's... Uh, He's taking a shot a little bit with more frequency. He's very good in the corners and the walls and, uh, you know, getting, trying to get open. So Simon Holmstrom is starting to finally play up to some of that potential you thought was there as a, a, as a first rounder. I'm still not convinced Simon Holmstrom is going to spend his career on the top line of whatever team he's playing for. Um, he may very well be, you know, more of a, a second or third liner uh, for the bulk of his career. But right now, he is fitting with Bo Horvat and Matthew Barzell. He's still young, still developing. And the main thing is, as I talked about with Jean-Gabriel Pajot uh, at one point, just how confident he's looking out there. And I think that's that's a good sign. If you ask me the two best things about the Islanders' season so far, it's it's a no-brainer. It's Noah Dobson's play on the on the defense, uh, you know, amongst the defensemen, and and I I would say right now that Noah Dobson is the team's all-star um, with a potential. For some Norris Trophy consideration, I don't know if he finishes in the top five, but he'll get he'll get a few votes here and there if the season ended today. Um, I would make him the team's all star. So Noah Dobson and Simon Holmstrom uh, to me are by far the two best things uh, that have gone on with the Islanders to this point this season. So where is this team? They have seventeen points. In 17 games, and and that's not even going to come close uh, to being good enough to get in, into the playoffs. Uh, yet they're, they're only three points out of a wild card spot right now. Um, there's still plenty of time to go on a run. Uh, go on a run. Um, does this team have it in them? Uh, like I said, you know, uh, based on 
what I was talking with around around the league, uh, you know, in Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and Seattle. And, and by the way, not to whine here. And look, the the Islanders have the Islanders, Rangers, Devils have by far the easiest travel schedules in the NHL. Which means, as a sports writer, even though I am not on the team plane, I'm flying commercial. I'm making connections. My travel schedule is a lot easier than, uh, you know, anyone who's covering, say, the Minnesota Wild or the Calgary Flames or, you know, who amongst the journalists that still get to go out and cover 82. And there are fewer and fewer of us all the time. This is not me whining about the Islanders travel schedule, but this is me uh, sort of looking with a crooked eye at how the NHL scheduled that that trip because it starts in Edmonton and the the cities are Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, and usually Seattle, Vancouver are grouped together, and usually you start in Seattle and then go across the border and play Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and then you come back over into the U.S. But no, that's not the way it went. Uh, the, the the trip starts in Edmonton. Uh, no direct flights to Edmonton, of course. So that's one trip through Toronto, which if anyone has ever gone through Toronto, uh, that is a uh, a nut show trying to make connections there. Because you also got to go through customs there, which means you go back out and go, re-go through security. It's it's a time hole, uh, time sink. But anyway, so we go up to Edmonton. Um, and then instead of playing Calgary, which is right there, all the way out to Vancouver... And then dip down into the U.S., trip across the border, 18 to 24 hours in Seattle. It's a back-to-back. And then back to Calgary, where we started the trip. And that's another trip across uh, uh, the border. And then to get home, because uh, very, I think there was one direct flight from Calgary to the New York area. And the time was a miserable time to fly. So back through Toronto, more security, more customs, but wah, wah, wah. Yeah, we, we made it. I made it. I'm here. But anyway, so... Yeah. Look, does this team have it in them to to make the playoffs? I'm still going to say yes. They're only, what are they? They're uh, maybe uh, three points. Yeah, here we go. Three points out of a a wild card spot. There's plenty of time to go on a run. They have a six-game homestand in December uh, because God knows the Islanders didn't play enough home games in in October. We got a a front-loaded in December as well. they play the Flyers, Senators, and Flyers over four days. Um, none of those are gimmies, but look, you know, if you tell me the Islanders go 3-0-0 in those games, I'm not going to be surprised. Uh, the Flyers, John Tortorella is clearly the, the front runner for the Jack Adams trophy as the top coach this year, the way he's got his Flyers playing right now. But the Flyers are are still young, and they're not supposed to be in second place in the Metropolitan Division, and I don't think that's where they wind up. So two games against the Flyers, and then uh, a Senators team that is not playing as well as the preseason projections. So maybe this is some time to, to get some points. We, we know the issues here. Uh, the Islanders defensively, have been a lot more porous than we've ever 
become used to seeing them. And the Islanders have given up way more goals. I think uh, over the last nine games, eight, nine games, they've been outscored in the third period uh, around 16 to four. Um, And you talk about why you're losing points. That would be it. So they got to get better defensively. Ilya Sorokin has got to lower his numbers. You got to get more scoring across the board. Uh, the third line, Jean-Gabriel Pajot is playing well. It's been a rotating, uh, revolving door with his wings. Uh, Anders Lee got his first point in 11 games. His production has slipped horribly. Uh, Matt Martin's ice time has gone down and now he's, uh, dealing with an upper body injury and Hudson Fashing was on the fourth line. There are a lot of issues with this team. Uh, that Lane Lambert has got to get straightened out, or Lou Lamarillo has got to get straightened out before I, I can go ahead and say, is this team, you know, at this? I thought they were going to be a playoff team before the season starts. Right now, you know, I, I'm saying that they are probably looking like a team that's going to miss the playoffs, but we're 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 only approaching the quarter pole of the season, so it's it's a vast palette that has yet to be painted, and I'm I, I'm still excited to see what happens. I'm just trying to point out the issues, and, and and to talk a little bit more about what she's she's seen out of the Islanders. Uh, like I said, I had a chat with Jen Botterell. First of all, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. You used to do some Islander broadcasts, now you're doing national stuff. As a broadcaster, how is that a little bit different when you have to take you know, a broader, bigger picture on a nightly basis? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's uh, a lot to cover, certainly, but I also feel like you got to make sure that you have a good grasp on, on league-wide what's happening. And then certainly with the games that you're doing over the, the course of several weeks, you uh, are paying attention to a lot of the details and, and the stories. And you think about... Uh, uh, the Islanders situation and and certainly I loved covering them for several years in my career Um, and I think the one thing that's always been evident with the organization is is good people um, that care a lot and and certainly in talking with them it's much the same they don't they haven't been getting the results lately but um, it's uh, it's certainly nice for me to have the chance to, to cover one of their games you look, I mean, you said it's been a couple of years, but you look at the Islanders lineup. I mean, obviously we're here in Vancouver, Bo Horvat, you know, mm-hmm. he's been one big difference. Yes. But the core, right? It's yes. a lot of the same guys you covered. Mm-hmm. It's a little, it's an anomaly in the NHL where you keep a group together for that long. Does that work for them or do you think against them a little bit? Well, time will tell. I yeah. mean, it is still, uh, you know, we're into the season, but still relatively early in the season. Um, but I think every team, every organization has a different strategy on what they think is going to be most effective. And I think for every group, they do want to have some consistency, mm-hmm. but there's always going to be change yeah. with, with trying to make improvements with contracts and the cap and, and that reality. But I also feel like in terms of leadership groups and management, if they feel like they have great people, mm-hmm. tremendous hockey players, and they continue to believe in that combination, yeah. then you're going to stay loyal and stay consistent with that approach so over the course of the year it'll be interesting to see how they respond to this little slide in the season um but i also even within the lineup right you see barzell playing the wing now little adjustments that are being made you say okay well how am i going to get the most out of players uh you know certainly a player that's played really well for the islanders is is dobson over the course of the past few years to see his development and, and how dominant he's been as an individual um with his performance 
So even though, yes, a lot of the same pieces, it's still interesting to see how you can make even subtle adjustments to see how can we make the most of this lineup. As a former player, I mean, you know, I guess if you haven't played the game, what's the difference? He went from center to right wing. He's still on the ice. Explain why that's not easy. Yeah, well, we were just we were chatting with him about it, and, and and certainly I reflect upon that. That when I was in my playing career, I played mostly center, but I, I did play wing a few different times. You know, depending who came in, whether it was my first year university or when I was younger with the national team. Um, and it's a, it is a big adjustment, and yeah. it, it's uh, it's funny he told us as well. He, he thought it would be easier, perhaps, than it is. That it, it takes a little bit. He's certainly finding his stride, and but it's adjustments in terms of as a center, there's movement. You're lower in the zone to support the puck, and so just making sure that you you're making those reads to a support the puck, make sure you're a passing option, and then also pressure coming down. They're just they're different reads, and you're looking at the play from a different angle. So I also feel like maybe it's just not a given. Oh, he's still a forward, but I think there are quite a few details that come into oh how are you going to be effective how are you going to get the puck how are you going to make the smart plays and certainly it's just you're looking at things from a very different perspective on the ice with that positional play so I think credit to those players that do play both and, and make it look easy yeah no it, it's it's been interesting and, and and on the power play they've used him on the left they yes. used him on the other side and, yes. and he's a guy you signed for eight years yes. and you figure he's going to be but it, nothing is nothing's you know static in hockey. <laughs> and that's what I think. I mean, that's maybe one thing that is constant is change. Yeah. And I think even as specialty teams in the league evolve, even on the power play, if you think about that example, we were just chatting with with the Islanders to say, you know, yeah, there's there's positions, but I feel like there's so much movement, and I feel like it's constantly to make those reads on what the openings are. Um, and so even though you're trying him in different quote spots. I feel like there's still motion and guys coming high in the zone now to come down, look at different things. If you're on your off wing, just I think there's different advantages, but I think we are seeing perhaps more movement mm -hmm. on the power play than we ever have in the last couple of years. When you were around the Islanders, one of the things they did really well was lock it down in the third period, and that's obviously something that's been a problem. Yes. As you were doing your prep for this game, yes. what, what are you seeing specifically in the third periods? Yes, that it hasn't been their strength. It hasn't been their forte. But I think if you think about a group that has as much character as they do, there's certainly a dedication to making those improvements. And, uh, you know, subtleties in the game, if it's just the focus on making sure you've got a, a man high in the offensive zone, you're making sure you're coming hard through the neutral zone. I mean, the effort plays. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the good news is with that, that that can be adjusted. Mm -hmm. That it's not going to be a massive skill differential but making sure hey are you doing all of this together and making the right reads together late in the game so there's no question that needs to be improved and that's you know the players are very aware of that um, but I think it's just whether that's communication whether it's just that level of awareness to make sure okay this is an element of our game yeah. that we need to zone in on and we did make, make those adjustments very quickly and also they struggled recently on the penalty kill yes. that, which was another strength yes. what, what kind of slippages have you seen there or is, you know, is it bounces what you know what's your take on their penalty kill well I think it's, it's almost a similar situation where it's the efforts and the reads and, and sometimes you don't get the bounces that, that you want. It's, it's make, I think staying connected yeah. is such an important thing, uh, uh, shorthanded for them. And I think there's just moments where if 
there's a chance to pounce, making sure that you've got the support and the options, so whether it's not a, you know, a, a direct clear, if you're making sure you've got that support. So I think it's the timing mm-hmm. um, and just staying connected. And, and if there's one thing, sometimes it's just subtle communication. You can't be talking the whole time on the ice, but whether it's from the bench or whether it's on the ice, just little things to help people stay cohesive to make sure that pressure is, is unified, right, shorthanded. And I just want to ask you, when, when you were with the Islanders, right, you know, you would do the studio, it would be you with Shannon, yes. or AJ was in with Shannon. How, yeah. how important was that, you know, you know, two very accomplished women on set talking about, you know, a men's league, and, and people not looking at it as, oh, these are women talking, it's mm-hmm. two professionals talking about it. Yeah, well, well thank you. I certainly... <laughs> look back and I feel very fortunate for the opportunity that I had there and the you know I think it's a reflection of MSG and the confidence that they had in in us in those various roles and then the organization as well to support that and um, you know I think on where all of us have continued to stay involved in in the game with with coverage with some of us still with MSG and some of us with different networks Um, but I think for all of us it it was it wasn't about uh, agenda it was just going in and to do things really well and to not just be happy to be there but to go in and provide a lot of value and insight and certainly for me I look at my experience there as uh, a huge uh, development for me and a huge opportunity that I had the chance to, to do the the pregame shows the intermissions to be between the benches at ice level yeah. and I feel like those were all things that uh, when I went into those roles I wanted to be prepared but I learned it was a combination of doing my research being ready but also there was a lot that I wanted to respond to and to comment on with what was happening. And I think that's still a goal of mine today to be in these situations and not just be happy to be part of the show, but make the viewing experience better for fans and and provide more knowledge on what's happening in the game, how they can see things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, Shannon is awesome, and I'm I'm so happy for her that she's still doing so well. AJ is still a good friend of mine as well, that we played together at university, and we, we all stay in touch. And... I think with, with everyone. I mean, I think of other people that have been great in my career. Cassie Campbell, Pascal was great. And I think it's the idea of certainly there's, there should be opportunity and, and supporting each other and encouraging each other and saying hopefully, you know, regardless of your experiences in the sport or your gender or your background, those choices should be available. And uh, it's been great to see in different roles, right? Not just on air or production or direction or coaching or management. You're starting to see those opportunities of, of people that are qualified and well-deserving. And just lastly, the, the new women's league is starting up. I yes. think January 1st or thereabouts, yes. there's going to be a team that plays some of its games at UBS Arena. Yes. How important is it for this league to get this right? You know, yes. just... You know, because women's hockey, you know, and youth girls hockey, it's huge. Mm -hmm. But for it to become, you know, a solid professional league, what does that do, you know, the the trickle down from there? Yeah, I think it's it's really exciting. And I think that's the whole thing with the Players Association is that some people wanted to see it sooner, right? But they wanted to be patient to make sure that they were doing it right. And their whole vision was sustainability, right? Not just put something in place for the short term, Mm -hmm. to say this is the plan to have this around for decades and for the future. And I think that's a real credit to the players because it wasn't just about them signing a contract. Mm -hmm. It was saying, okay, how are we going to establish this so that kids growing up for the next generation have something to aspire to? And, you know, I... The way I sometimes describe it, I say not every girl has to play hockey, but I love that it's a choice now. Yeah. And I think there's just such a, 
the, the powerful phenomenon of, of what they see, right? And then they know what's possible. Yeah. And, and if you see it, then you can believe it. And I think uh, with three young girls of my own, to see, you know, these moments where they, they watch at the Olympic Games or whether they watch soccer or whether they watch the hockey team playing at World Championships, just to see it through... The, the lens of their eyes and what they see. You can see, they're, oh, then they start thinking, what's possible for me? What can I strive towards? And even at young ages of eight and six, they're talking about their goals and what they want to achieve. And so uh, credit to all the players. And they've come together. They've had great um, support now uh, with amazing people that are very experienced and successful in business and, and sport mm-hmm. that are behind this league. So I, it's a really exciting time. I'm thrilled for the players. I've continued to stay in touch with them. And, and I think that was just their vision to say, that we want this in place for a long time and let's do this the right way. So very, very exciting. I hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, it's always great talking hockey and other issues with with Jen, uh, a really great hockey mind. Uh, you know, uh, having her and AJ Malesko around for those seasons was was really really fun to sort of get uh, you know another view on 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 hockey and uh, you know world class athletes absolutely. And uh, so, like I said, thank you to Jen for that. And now, thank you. For all your questions, it's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. We'll start with Keith Amato, who says, a lifelong New York Islander fan, having watched thousands of games and attending many, including the first two Cups, uh, successful playoff runs and championships, always, those teams always uh, involved... Uh, team chemistry, consistency, and hard work. This team is missing some or all of those qualities. More holes than Swiss cheese. Um, I understand what you're saying, Keith. Um, the consistency is not there. And I agree that for all we talk about how much these guys like playing together and how long they've done it and whatever benefits there are of having the team's core together for so long, um, the chemistry has not looked great um they're they're on you know just a lot of on ice mistakes that are not uh characteristic and i i i do agree that there are some chemistry issues as lane lambert looks for the right combinations i i would not say hard work um you know i respect those guys too much they are working extremely hard but you are what you are is Bill Parcell said, I mean, the, the actual quote was, you are what your record says you are. And, you know, for all their hard work, they are a NHL 500 team. And then if you throw in the overtime losses, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's below 500 in my mind. Um, Dan McCarthy says, do you think replacing Lane would actually make a difference on the ice? And I, I'll be honest with you. And I've, 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 Rolled that around in my head as well, and no, I, 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 I don't think this team. You know, when when Lane was promoted to replace Barry, uh, Lou Lamorello talked about a new voice needing a new voice. Barry had been here four seasons. Sometimes teams tune out coaches. I don't think. I mean, it's not even think. I, I know the Islanders are not at that point with Lane Lambert. Um, too many of the guys say too many good things about him and, and really respect the work he's doing. And I, it's not just lip service. Um, you could bring in a new voice. Um, you, you could blow up the systems. 
it's still the same players. And right now, the, the, the team's record, like Bill Parcells, you are what your record says. And I think this collection of players right now, this is what they are. I'm not... I'm not sure a, a new voice is going to catapult them suddenly into being a cup contender. Um, let's see. Rich Zile says, do you feel that the players put the onus on themselves so much that it, it sways Lou to keep Lambert and they hope the pa- penalty kill struggles are an anomaly? And yes, I think in their mind, yes, I think they think they're they're going to get the penalty kill straightened out. Um, that they're not going to uh, be under fifty percent, which is just you know pee wee hockey. Um, they think they're going to work out the PK struggles. Um, I don't know that the players sway Lou one way or another. I mean, he'll tell you absolutely not, and I think he means it. I think Lou basically keeps a council of one, and it's him. Uh, you know, he solicits, uh, you know, opinions and suggestions from from others in management. But at the end of the day, Lou keeps a council of one, and that's himself. And uh, he and he alone is going to decide whether he feels Lane Lambert is the correct coach here. Um, Rob says, what do you think the problem is in the third period? Why can't the Islanders close out a game? Uh, I think a lot of it was they were wearing down in the third period um, because uh, uh, when when Pellick was hurt, and, and this is not throwing this on Sam Bolduc, which is not fair, he's a rookie, but um, Lane Lambert did not trust him for big minutes, so you really come down to a five-man rotation, and that's fine for a game or two, but it was six, seven games in a row where you're really playing uh, heavy minutes amongst the the top five defensemen. I think they wore down, and I also even if Lane Lambert, uh, you know, kind of uh, very aggressively denies this, I think there was a here we go again mentality. When when one thing would go wrong, the Islanders were just waiting for the second thing to go wrong, and when you think like that, it does happen. Um, Matt says, "What are we doing here? What is the plan?" <laughs> And again, that goes back to Lou, and Lou's going to keep that to himself. Um, you know, uh, if if Lou's history is any is any guide, he doesn't believe in rebuilding. So as we get closer, if he believes they're in the uh, playoff hunt, then he's going to try and uh, you know make some trades that may affect the future to help the present. And if he feels they're slipping out of it, um, you know, I think we're going to hear speculation or uh, about Lane Lambert's job again, because uh, Lou, Lou, I think for, for his job status, he cannot afford to have this team slip out of it. Um, I have another donut. Uh, says, uh, last saw the Islanders win in the, the cup in first grade. What are the odds I see them win another cup if I am able to live another four years is 0.3% too generous. Have a good Thanksgiving. Wow. Um, look, I uh, <laughs> another 40 years, that's a long time. That's going to be... You got to figure five, six different GMs over the next 40 years. I would say the odds are uh, 
considerably greater than 0.3%. Um, especially, you know, maybe, maybe the window is closing now and it's going to take you another three, four seasons to get back uh, to having a window open, perhaps. Um, but you still have UBS Arena. You still have really modern facilities. You still should be able to attract free agents. Um, and there's still great parity in the league. So, yeah, you know what? Uh, have another donut. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say that I think you'll see the Islanders win another cup uh, before you uh, completely graduate from life. Uh, Tanny Isaac says, uh, how does Lane Lambert still have a job? Well, uh, you know, I mean, he's only 17 games into his second season and Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo both saw something in Lane Lambert to, uh, to put him into this position. The players still like him. Um, he, he still has a job. Uh, because Lou Lamarillo says he still has a job. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I, I know it's been dump on Lane Lambert week. I have seen a lot worse coaching uh, performances over my career in the NHL. I, I, you know, Lane Lambert may not be a Hall of Fame coach like Barry Trotz is going to be. Uh, but he's not an incompetent coach by, by any means. He, he's doing his damnedest to figure this out. Uh, Thomas Boyle says, have you heard any chatter that season ticket subscribers are not renewing if this continues? And, uh, yeah, Thomas, I, I have heard some chatter that season ticket subscribers are not happy with the direction this is going. And at the end of the day, that will be the loudest message to management uh, or to ownership. I shouldn't say management. I should say ownership. That will be the loudest message to ownership that perhaps change is needed is if the season tickets start falling off and, and even more important than the season tickets. And I'm not saying the fans are not important, but in terms of the bottom line, um, if the renewals on the suites are suddenly dipping, ownership is going to pay real close attention to that and realize that the product they are selling is not one that the public wants to buy. Uh, Coach Jeff 24 says, do you think it's more likely Lou tries to spark this team with a new coach or a trade to bring in a defensive and or scoring help? Well, I, I think more immediately would be a new coach. Um, I, I think the trading season, uh, you, you're probably looking Christmas and after that. And I think uh, if the team continues to struggle, uh, Lou would probably, he can't replace all the players and, and the Islanders are going to have trouble uh, making trades with their salary cap situation unless Lou is willing to give away more first rounders. So I think the coach comes first, trades come second. Um Michael says, is the real issue with the third line like Jean-Gabriel Pajot seems none of the combinations have been good. No, I, I would not look at Pajot. Uh, Pajot's playing his butt off. Um, I know he hasn't gotten the production, uh, but he is still a valuable member of the team. Uh, I, I would not look at Pajot. I would look uh, to, his, 
to his wings. Um, Dan says, why weren't the MSG crew on the road trip? And it's true. Uh, MSG called the games from the studio, production crew at home. And uh, I, I believe that was all about budgetary reasons. And uh, one of the things we heard on the road, and no confirmation here, um, uh, that MSG may uh, pull back even further. And I'm not just talking about the Islanders. There's a possibility uh, at least from what we were told, that the Islanders, Rangers, and Devils crews may have their travel curtailed in the near future this season um, to where more and more games are being produced out of the studio or more and more road games are being produced out of the studio. Um, NYI VGK says, who is the new coach? The, the one name I kept hearing um, was John Hines. Uh, the former Predators and Devils coach. Uh, that was the name I, I, I heard a lot. Um, so we'll see. I mean, again, all speculation not coming from Lou. Uh, but uh, it, would it shock me if at some point John Hines, uh, you know, if, if there is a change, I, I think John Hines is going to get consideration here. Um, DJ says Noah Dobson has grown by leaps and bounds this year when pair, when paired with Adam Pellick, but we, do we need to bring an Adam Pellick, Ryan Pulak back together to tighten up defensively, at least in the third period? And I, I don't think you can do that because I don't, I, I don't want to see uh, Romanov Dobson again. That, that just has not worked consistently. Um, and then you got Sebastian Ajo and Scott Mayfield and, uh, look, I, I know uh, Pellick was hurt, um, but neither Adam Pellick or Ryan Pulak had played yet this season at the uh, the level we're used to them playing at. So I, I don't think putting them back together uh, is really, uh, you know, the third period uh, salvation. Um, do you get the sense that Lane Seat, oh, this is style, says, do you get the sense that Lane Seat is legitimately hot, or is it just fan speculation? And I'm going to say it's more than fan speculation, as mentioned before. Um, John Cunningham says, if the Islanders absentee owner, that would be Scott Malkin, has, uh, and he's not an absentee owner, he does live in Europe, um, and he has put Lou Lamarillo into control, but I, I don't you know, absentee owner brings up connotations that I don't think are fair. Uh, anyway, if Malkin is given total control of the franchise to Lamarillo, who will ever make the decision when Lou's time is up? Well, fans have to wait for Lou to fire himself. And like I said, I, I think ownership will certainly pay attention if season ticket subscriptions are down and to, to a greater extent, if the sweet renewals uh, are flagging. Um, Cousin It says, to me, the Islanders players seem to have developed quite a country club mentality. Uh, they seem far too comfortable losing leads in games. Do you sense this at all from your day-to-day -day interactions with the team? I don't want to call it a country club because these guys work really, really hard. And the, and the one thing I, I never want to do is disrespect the players because they they really they put in incredible amounts of blood and sweat uh, into their craft. So I'm not going to disrespect them, um, but you have hit on something. They are very comfortable um, in terms of these guys have been around for a long time with this one team. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think losing leads in games doesn't necessarily speak to that, but I think it does speak to the fact that uh, these guys have been around for a long time. Um, Chris Shank says, do you think the Islanders' defensive system still suits their personnel with Ajo, Dobson, Romanov, and some of the forwards? I wonder if a more aggressive style would help. But I suppose if you take a tons of penalties, it won't matter either way. Well, yeah, absolutely, bingo. Um, and some of the best penalty killers the Islanders have have been in the box a lot. But, you know, Lane Lambert tried a more aggressive style, and it, within two months he had to pull back. So I, it's the same personnel. So I would not try that again. Um, Isles Rule says, do you believe Lou will give up his number one draft pick again for a short-term rental, even though the farm system is empty? And I would say I would not put that past Lou. Um, and that, I think, would be five straight first-round picks traded if he does it again. Lou believes in this season. He never believes in giving up on a season, and he worries about the future in the future for the most part. So uh, I would not put it past him to do that if, he, if it's a move he thinks can help the Islanders get to where he thinks they can go. Um, and finally, Icing says, Islanders ownership is a silent ownership, not actively involved, obviously. And again, I, I'll push back on that. John Ledecky is around 100% of the time. Um, and he, you know, he is, he's as involved as he can be. He's just not the majority owner. So, you know, there are limitations to the decisions John Ledecky can make. Um, but uh, let's see. Uh, the questions are, uh, do you think Lou Lamarillo at some point will appoint himself as senior advisor and next step to appoint his son, Chris Lamarillo, as new GM? And I, I yeah, I think in a best case scenario, Lou Lamarillo would like to see Chris Lamarillo be the next GM of the Islanders. And look, you know, for all of us who are parents, you can appreciate how proud you are of your children and how you want to see them succeed and how much you trust in them and how much you know they can do a good job. So um, there, there's that from Lou uh, with regards to Chris. Um, but also Lou, Lou Lamarillo has worked with Chris Lamarillo for a long time, going back to their days together with the Devils. And uh, Lou has said for a long time that uh, Chris Lamarillo is ready to be an NHL GM. If anything, it, it might be the fact that Chris Lamarillo is Lou's son that's, that's held him back maybe from getting a job with a different organization. If he his name was Chris Jones, um, you know, he might have had an NHL GM job already. Um that being said, you know, I don't know whether or not Lou, uh, Lou gets to do that, uh, whether he gets to appoint himself senior advisor or just remain president would likely be it. Um, I, I don't know if ownership uh, allows him to go there, especially if the team continues to struggle. And uh, thank you all for your questions for Andrew's answers. Thanks again to Jen Botterill for her time. Thank you for listening to episode 173 of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, if turkey is your deal, 
enjoy the turkey, as they say, gobble, gobble. And if you want to go back, listen to any past episodes or read any of uh, Newsday's New York Islanders content, please go to newsday.com backslash aisles or newsday.com backslash sports. Until the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.